The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. In today's sermon, Brother McNeil Honey preaches to us about examples that we find in the book of Philippians. Brother McNeil has been exercising a preaching gift for several years now under the authority of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church in Ecola, Alabama. As he takes us through the book of Philippians, he reminds us that we need role models in our lives. In this book, Paul shares with us several role models. He uses himself as an example. He uses others who walk godly. But most of all, he uses Christ, who is the ultimate role model. Please join us today for the first half of this sermon on examples that we find in the book of Philippians. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
like us to turn to the book of Philippians uh, this morning. We look at several passages in the book of Philippians. And Paul does something very specific with the book of Philippians. Uh, he provides the Philippian church with several examples. Uh, one of those examples is Jesus Christ, uh, who is the ultimate example, as we'll talk about here in a few moments. The other example is himself. He provides himself. And then the third example, he says, are, are those that walk faithfully with our Lord. Uh, and I think part of the reason that the book of Philippians is meaningful to me is I understand that the reason Paul gave so many examples, which provided the Philippian church with a sense of direction, is they were young and they were new in their faith and also in the establishment of their church. And I assure you today, I need many examples. We all do. And I'm sure we all have them. You know, we think about role models that we've had, people that we've looked to for guidance and support, people who have lived in such a way that we've looked at them and we thought, I want to be that person. I'm sure we've all experienced that. You know, I probably have in, in more than I could count on both hands. You know, there are probably just a few that I follow most closely that mean the most to me. But I've met some men that are, are really good uh, plumbers. And I've thought, I want to be more like that guy. I want to be more a, of a plumber like that guy because he has a skill that I don't have. There's something that I can learn from him. I've met parents that have incredibly well-behaved children. And I think, man, if I'm a parent someday, I just hope to have children that are that well-behaved. See, that's a role model. And especially uh, young children really need role models. I'm here telling you today that young children need parents. They need moms and dads that set examples for them and teach them how to live, not just in theory, not just by their words, but by practice. So when a parent tells a child, control your temper. When I was young and my, younger and I was living with my, my parents and they would tell me things like that, control your temper or do your chores. I would look at them and I would see that they held their tempers and also that they always completed their tasks. They always got up in the morning and they got done what they said they were going to do. And I admired that. That was an example to me. And Paul understood that the Philippian church needed that. They needed that. Say, so as we grow older and older, the biblical model is that we follow less examples and we become more of an example to people. That is to say, we're no longer looking up to people. We are the ones that people look up to. So Paul has given the Philippian church several people several patterns of behavior to follow and emulate. And really the first that he gives is that of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure we all could agree, if Jesus Christ is the only perfect person that's ever walked the face of the earth, if there's anyone that could ever provide an example and illustrate to us how we ought to behave, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, because he was perfect. And that's a point that Paul makes that we may not have time to address specifically. But he says, when you follow the example of me, that is Paul, when you follow the example of others that walk closely with the Lord, there's going to be a time where they do things that they ought not do. 
It does not matter how great of an example you have, and anyone that you look up to, at some point they're going to fail in some way. That's important for us to realize. Because we're also called in Scripture to have careful discernment. So when we look at someone and we look at their life and we think, I would like to be more like that person, we have to realize that they're not perfect. They're not perfect. As I've been told many, many times by some very wise people in my life, everybody cheats somewhere. There's always somewhere where we're going to fall short. But Jesus Christ, he's not like that, is he? He's not an example that falls short. He doesn't lose his temper when he's in a tight situation. He doesn't sin or commit a sin in his heart when no one's looking. No, he was perfect. So he provides the ultimate example the best example that we could ever hope to emulate in this life. And so that's what we're reading about in Philippians chapter 2. The first example that Paul provides the Philippian church with, he says, here's the first person I want you to follow, Jesus Christ. And here's how Jesus Christ lived. Philippians chapter 2, in verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. So Paul says, he immediately sets the tone. He says, I all want you to be united in what? A mindset. I want you all to be united in a mindset. What does he say? I want you all to have the same love. I want you to be like-minded. I want you to be of one accord. I want you to be of one mind. That's a lot of things to have in common. But I assure you today, all disciples of Christ who are desiring and trying to follow Christ in the best way that Scripture illustrates are going to be united in these things. They're going to have the same mindset. Well, what is this mindset? What's the mindset that we're all to have? Well, first Paul says, don't do anything through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than yourselves. And he says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And in verse 5, here's what we want. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. So here's what Paul's saying to the Philippian church. I all want you to adopt a mindset. And I want it to be the mindset of Jesus Christ. As a church, as a church body, as a disciple, I want you to adopt the mindset of Christ and behave as he did. Well, how did Christ behave? How did Christ behave? Paul's going to tell us in these, in these following verses. He says, who being in the form of God, that who is Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God? but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, 
even the death of the cross. So Christ, he humbles himself, first of all. He decides that he's going to take upon himself the form of a servant, and he's made in the likeness of men. That's something that we're all charged to do, without exception. None of us are to be above serving other people. That's what Paul immediately establishes in verses 2 and 3. He says, I don't want you to do anything through strife, and I don't want you to do anything through vainglory. He says, take your reputation, take your pride, take your arrogance, and throw it out of the window. It has no place in the service of Christ. Because that is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And I'm here to tell you today, if anyone had the right to step back and say, oh, I'm too good to serve. I'm too good to lay down my life at the feet of others. I am too good to live my life not focusing upon myself, but focusing outward unto the people that I love. If anyone was too good to do that, it would have been the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul makes it very clear in verse 6 that that's the case. He said, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus Christ was God. And if Jesus Christ wasn't too good to take his life and lay it down at the feet of other people, I assure you today, none of us are too good to do that. If the God of the universe could take upon himself the form of a servant and decide that service would be the purpose of his life until he died, none of us are too good to do that. Because this man was in the form of God, and he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Let's look in John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is very important. Because it tells us about the purpose that Jesus Christ saw in his, his life and his ministry while here on this earth in the form of a servant. He tells us why he's here. By the way, he doesn't try to hide that. I think that's a message for all of us. We don't hide the reason that we're upon this earth. We are pilgrims and sojourners here, simply serving our Father, awaiting till our raptured soul, as the song said, is taken away to heaven. You know, I'm really a pilgrim and sojourner this morning because I have all of my worldly possessions in the back of my truck. Some of you all have asked me about that this morning already. I'm really a pilgrim and sojourner. Uh, hopefully, I'll, I'll, I'll be at rest tonight when I, I move into a new apartment. But we're all pilgrims and sojourners in a spiritual sense. We're, we're passing through. We don't hide that from anyone. And Christ didn't either. Because he clearly tells us why he is here. He says in verse 37, All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. No doubt, many of us could quote that verse. Jesus Christ, he is making a definitive doctrinal statement. He says, all that the Father gives me, they're going to come to me. And if they come to me, I'm not going to cast them out. Okay, that is strictly true in an eternal sense. All that Jesus Christ loves will be with him in heaven one day. That's irrevocable, and it's unchanging. In verse 38, Jesus Christ says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. 
Jesus Christ does not hide while he was, why he was upon the earth. He says, I am here on earth to do my Father's will. That's no different from, for any of us today. We are here upon this earth to do our Father's will. We are not here for any other reason. And it, often we feel as if we're here for another reason. But the pattern of Jesus Christ is, we're to take that, we're to throw it to the side, and we are to pursue our Father's will. And the Father's will for Jesus Christ, that he was united in all perfection with, wasn't anything purely pleasant. Wasn't anything purely pleasant. Because one, Jesus Christ left his exalted position at the right hand of God the Father and took upon himself the form of a man and being found in fashion as a man, he becomes obedient unto death. So he spends approximately 33 years as a man upon this earth. And he didn't live in a palace. He didn't live a life of ease. He didn't live a nice life. You were told in Isaiah 53 that he's despised and he's rejected of men. He's a man of sorrows and he's acquainted with grief. Some of us perhaps have lived hard lives. We didn't live a life like Jesus lived. We were not the Son of God walking upon this earth with no place to lay our heads, no belongings other than the clothing of our back, making our living as carpenters, And knowing, knowing, revealed to us, we're not even really sure when, that our lives would end in an excruciating death. But Jesus Christ, he embraces that. He embraces that. He acknowledges that there was pain in the cross, that there would be pain in the cross. Read it. We won't even turn there this morning. It's throughout all of the Gospels. You know, we're told specifically in in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus Christ despised the shame that was associated with the cross. He understood that that death would be painful, that it would be shameful, that he would be despised and rejected of men, yet he embraced his Father's will anyway. That's the pattern that's laid out for us. That's the pattern that's laid out for us. We're to take our own interests and our own concerns and we subordinate them to the will of the Father. And I assure you today, the will of the Father is to live not absorbed in our own minds and with our own concerns and with our own emotions, but to live a life that's oriented outward. And yes, also outward and upward. Because that's what Jesus Christ did. He could have done whatever he wanted to with his time here on this earth. He's God. But yet, before the beginning of time, when he decided that he would love his people and he would redeem them from their sins, he understood what he would have to do, and he came down to earth and he subjected himself to shame and he executed it with perfection. That's what we're striving for. This morning. That's what we're striving for. Paul, he continues to talk about this in in the book of Philippians. The third chapter. Because Paul struggled with this too. Paul, he's a very candid person. And he admits that he was not perfect. 
And he admits that he is not perfect in many, many places throughout the vast majority of the New Testament that he wrote. And here's one place that he does this. In verse 7 of Philippians 3, he says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Say, brother, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about his pedigree as a Hebrew. He's talking about his reputation as a scholar. He's talking about his education, his status as a Roman citizen, his position and status as a persecutor of the Christians. He lays all those things to the side. What he says in verse 5, circumcised of the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. This guy has a resume. Paul had a resume. He speaks multiple languages. No doubt he's translated the vast majority of the Old Testament from the original Hebrew. He knows the Torah backwards and forwards. He has status as a Roman citizen. He's assigned with the responsibility of stamping out the rebellion that was started by Jesus Christ. And he is a Hebrew of the Hebrews. This man was mighty. But what does he say that he does? What the things that were gained to him, the things that were important to him, the things that mattered, the things that he once spent his time doing, he counts them loss for Jesus Christ. Because what happens? Paul's on the road to Damascus. He's headed to, to fulfill his responsibilities as persecutor of the church, is he not? And he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. And he doesn't come away from that encounter unchanged. There is something fundamental and deep and spiritual about Paul that is transformed and born again and brought to life in that encounter. And he's left blind, wallowing in his sin, until the Lord sends him a minister to tell him what he's supposed to do. And from that moment onward, once Paul had been charged with the responsibility of, by the way, composing the vast majority of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, starting the New Testament church as we know it, he left behind his pedigree as a Hebrew, he left behind his responsibilities as persecutor of the church, and he went on to become one of the most powerful instruments of God recorded in human history. But in order to do that, he had to leave some things behind. And he didn't just have to leave some things behind. He garnered the irritation and wrath of really the known religious world at that time. The pagans hated Paul. The Greeks hated Paul. The Romans hated Paul and would eventually execute him. And goodness gracious, the Jews certainly hated Paul. He's beaten, he's tortured, he's dipped in hot oil, he's stoned. All because he decides to pursue the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and this is the example that he, he sets before the Philippian church. He said, Christ is the ultimate benchmark. And then here I am. Here I am. He says, follow me if you can. Follow me if you can. He says, yea, doubtless, in verse 8. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. So then he goes ahead and he, 
he just completely mitigates any excuses that we might have. He says, sure, I've left behind my pedigree as a Hebrew. I left behind my education. I've left my, behind my status as a persecutor of the church. He says, also, go ahead and count all things but loss, but for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm not in the same position as Paul was. I'm not as well educated as Paul was. I'll never aspire to be as intelligent as Paul was. I'll never be as well-traveled as Paul was. So I'm in a different situation, right? I don't have to set everything else aside to pursue the example of Jesus Christ. No, Paul says, he says, I count all things but loss, but for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So go ahead and take whatever we have in our lives, whatever might distract us from this purpose to which we're devoted, and just cast it to the side. Leave it on the side of the road. He says, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do but count them but dung, that I may win Christ. That's some strong language, isn't it? Some strong language. We're reading the Bible, and Paul uses the word dung to describe how he treats all of the things that inhibit his focus upon the excellency of Jesus Christ. He looks at all the other things that we have. He looks at all the worldly possessions that I've piled in the back of my pickup truck right now. And he says, all of those things are dunk. Set them all to the side and pursue the knowledge of the excellency of Jesus Christ. Pursue his example. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul, he's ahead of us here. He realizes that one of the primary inhibitions to our pursuit of Christ is our perception of our own righteousness. Our arrogance is often the primary obstacle to our pursuit of Jesus Christ's example. Because we like to think, do we not, that ah, perhaps we are righteous. Perhaps we're just a tad bit better than the Bible says we are. Perhaps not everything else in our lives is but dung. Perhaps we have meaningful careers. Perhaps we have these, these, all of these other distractions and concerns that we're trying to develop and take care of and prevent from harm. He says, no. I want you to take your pedigree, your education, your resume, I want you to count them with dung. I want you to take your own righteousness and realize that that righteousness is the righteousness of filthy rags and realize that you are nothing were it not for Jesus Christ. That's contrary to our nature. Go ahead and say that. The reason it's hard. The reason that every time I read Philippians chapter 2, no matter how many times I've read it, I'm convicted is because it's contrary to my nature to look at myself and say it doesn't matter what I do, it doesn't matter how well I spend my time, I am nothing apart from Jesus Christ. I am nothing apart from Jesus Christ. He says, why do we do these things? Why do we set aside all of the things that we've worked our, our lives for? He says that I may know him. 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. He says, I follow after these things that I might experience what Christ experienced. Have you sacrificed all in pursuit of the Father's will? Congratulations, you are embodying the lifestyle of Christ. You are adopting the mindset of Jesus Christ. And that's not a pain. That's not something that we do hesitantly. When we do that, we have the chance to rejoice with Jesus Christ in the sufferings that he experienced. We're embodying the way that Jesus Christ lived. We're adopting his mindset. I'll assure you today, if we can set aside our arrogance and comprehend the doctrine of the finished work of Jesus Christ, to comprehend that, we have to set aside our own pride, our arrogance, our preconceived notions of how righteous we really are. If we can do that, we will know Christ in a richer sense than we have previously. That's what Paul means. He says, if you can set aside your arrogance and you can begin to understand what Christ has done for you, you will know him more fully, more completely, and better than you ever have before. So set aside distractions and partake in Christ's suffering. Because Paul says, we're just aspiring to the resurrection of the dead. That's what Paul means in verse 11 when he says, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's what we're aspiring to. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.